Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not exasperate your kids. This is a sermon on having closer families and on parenting. And I'm excited about it today because I believe that what we're going to talk about in this passage is really applicable widely to everyone who's here. And I know you say parenting is applicable to everyone here. And yes, I think it is for three reasons. First of all, many people here are parents. Secondly, many people who are not yet parents one day will be. But thirdly, we have all had parents or parental figures in our past. And so there's a lens through which you can kind of read this this text and view this sermon and understand um, that there's there's hope for your future, that there's healing for your past, and there's and there's great things to say about your present. But in addition to that, there's a couple of hearing aids, so to speak, that I want you guys to be able to hear the sermon through. The first one is the fact that, like the song said a few minutes ago, we have a good, good father, and we are loved by him. And so as you hear this sermon today, and we hear biblical wisdom and instruction on parenting our kids, you get to pause and also look up and say, look at how the Father has loved me, shepherded me, parented me. And of course, there's the second hearing aid, and that's that we're all called to be disciple makers, right? We're all called to go into the whole world and make disciples. And it's, it's amazing how much raising people to maturity in Christ has parallels to parenting. So all of this stuff we're gonna talk about today is very applicable to you. If you call yourself a believer today and you've taken the role or the call to make disciples seriously, there's gonna be some stuff here that you can use in your daily life. Sound good? That's, that's the disclaimer, okay? The second reason I'm stoked about this today is because it's a very, very timely and important topic. Great families don't happen on accident. It takes intentionality. It takes work and it takes worship and it takes a lot of wisdom. So if we listen today to this text, I believe we are going to grow in all three of those. So pay close attention. We're gonna move fast. Let's look at the scripture one more time. Fathers. In the Greek, this word is the same as parents. So this is applicable to everyone. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's a short verse, but it's really packed with a lot of wisdom for us because right off the bat, Paul talks about something we need to avoid. Avoid something, right? Parents, do not exasperate your children. And that word in Greek means probably what you would assume it means, anger or frustration, but a note, this is not saying parents don't ever frustrate your kids. How many of you know that would be impossible? If you love somebody, you're going to give them correction. There's going to be times when you care about somebody enough to speak the truth to them. How many of you like getting corrected? You just live for it. You love it when somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, you're doing this the wrong way. Here's the way to do it. You're like, oh, I live for those moments. None of us like that. It rubs up against our pride and our ego, doesn't it? And so it's not saying never frustrate your kids, never make them angry in a temporary sense. Even, I I would wager that even God, who is a perfect father, has at times in your life caused you to question, caused you to be frustrated, maybe even made you angry, right? And he's a perfect father. So it's not talking about temporary frustration, but this is talking about an ongoing settled resentment. It's talking about, it's talking about basically 
when we're frustrated or when we're frustrating our kids to the point that we're building arresting resentment and anger in them to where when they grow up, they're explosive and they have uh, trouble handling their emotions or maybe they try to handle their emotions and they shove them down inward and all that anger becomes depression and despair. And as, as we say that, maybe some of you are looking and you say, man, that's me. I look at myself and I'm an angry person. If I'm really honest, I struggle with despair or depression. Maybe I have like a a residing bitterness or anger or resentment in my heart. And I have good news for you today. If that's you, take heart. Because none of us have had perfect parents. Present company excluded. And as much as I try and I aim to be a perfect parent, ask my kids and they'll be quick to tell you, I am not a perfect parent. We all fall very short in this game, okay? But today, if you can receive the love of your father, your heavenly dad, if you can really start to see God as a father who loves you and begin to rest in that love, it will heal your heart, amen? Amen. So let's dive right in and talk about what it looks like for us to proactively disciple and discipline and love our kids. How can we avoid this exasperating anger and despair in our kids? And this verse tells us, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, so Paul's saying, hey, this is the way, okay? Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are three things here that Paul points out that I think are really gonna help shape us into better parents and better disciple makers. And the first thing is, he says, disciple them. Parents, a quick note to you. The kids that God has entrusted to you are your primary disciples. Amen? They are your primary disciples. As their mom and dad, you have the joy and responsibility to lead them. But how? Well, Paul talks about the first thing here, a balance between instruction, training, and instruction. And these words never really seem to get translated well. In one of the older translations, it says, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which isn't much more helpful. Okay, so what do these words actually mean? Well, the first word in Greek, training, means chastening, discipline, firmness, rules. So let's say discipline, okay? The second word, instruction, means counseling, nurture, loving, listening, caring for. So let's say, let's say delight, discipline and delight. Are we tracking So Paul says the first way that you can build healthy kids is by having a healthy balance of discipline and delight. And if you're gonna keep them from being exasperated, you gotta balance those two things, truth and love. And the reason this is cool is because two chapters before in Ephesians chapter four, Paul's talking about raising disciples to maturity in Christ. And he uses something very similar, similar logic, And he says this, he says, if you want people to become mature, no longer infants, how do we raise them up into Christ? He says, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So it's the same concept here two chapters later, truth and love, delight and discipline. So the first way, if you want a recipe to destroy your kids, the first way you can do that is by not having a balance of delight and discipline. It's not loving to delight in your kids without correcting them. And it's not 
loving to discipline them without delighting in them. I got a picture up here, a little graphic we worked on. And, and this, this can kind of help illustrate the point. If you only discipline, if you have too many rules, if you're crushing your kids under the rules, hitting on the rules all the time, constantly correcting, constantly pointing out what's wrong, you're forgetting that your kid's a human being. They're not a dog or a cat or a lion to be trained. They're in the image of God. And that's one of the things. I love behavioral psychology, okay? Love it. But one of the problems with behavioral psychology and a lot of the current material out there on parenting is it focuses on behavior modification, which is good. It's important to focus on behavior modification. But true discipleship, true parenting, is concerned not only about what they are doing, but also who they're becoming. The goal of discipline isn't just behavioral modification, it's heart transformation. If you only discipline, if you're all truth and no love, you're gonna create discouraged kids with an inward anger and a depression. Before parents discipline their kids, they're commanded to delight in them. I'm gonna, three quick proverbs. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in the son in whom he delights. Here's, a, here's some instruction from the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Before parents discipline their kids, they're commanded to delight in them. And that means that most of your time is spent enjoying your children, encouraging them, listening to them, laughing with them, being affectionate, having fun, so that there's a deep bond of love and joy between you and your kids. The backdrop of your discipline is delight. So ask yourself, am I delighting in those people that God has called me to disciple and raise up? So you don't only want to discipline, you want to delight in them, but you also don't only want to delight in them either. If you only delight, if you only nurture, if you only love, if you're only reasoning, listening, dialoguing, being friends with them, you can just easily, just as easily frustrate them. And you can end up creating complacent kids who aren't driven. Um, one of the, Nancy and I, we, we try to be good parents, but one of the things that we've tended to do is we tend to over-counsel our kids. We've tended to over-reason with them. We spend a lot of time talking and explaining why this, why that. And honestly, I think that's frustrated them somewhat over the years because we gave them the impression that they need to understand everything before they obey. Okay, But on the other hand, there's some parents who over-discipline instead of under-discipline. And parents who over-discipline tend to frustrate their kids because they give their impression that their kid's voice doesn't matter. The kids don't feel hurt. How many of you guys have experienced something like that in your life with a relationship with somebody in authority over you? Just don't feel heard. They're just domineering all the time. And at times, I'm sure the Larson kids have felt that way too, right? It's so critical to be parents who love, counsel, and delight in our kids while at the same time we're coaching, correcting, and disciplining our kids. We must give the delight and discipline, truth and love. Because you know what? Love without truth isn't really love. And truth without love isn't really truth, is it? There are two things that are very inseparable. Tim Keller says it this way in his book, Meaning of Marriage. He says, love without truth 
is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. So if you're just loving somebody and not giving them truth, you can lead them to not growing, not, not living in denial. On the flip side, truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. So the first thing, if we don't want exasperated kids, we're going to have to find a healthy way of nurturing counsel and healthy correction. We need to balance truth and love, delight and discipline. Are we tracking? Okay, cool. But that's not all Paul says. He talks about another balance we need to maintain. Number two, he says, raise them. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the second thing he says is bring them up. In the old translation, it says raise them up. And that means you've got to be careful about not keeping your kids too dependent on you or pushing them out too soon into independence. Okay, for example, imagine if you went to college, first day of class, physics teacher, you walk in and he says, welcome class, so glad to have you. Your finals are there on your table. Go ahead and take your pencils out and your scantrons and, and go ahead and take your final. Be like, What? Why would I take a final on the first day of school? That wouldn't make sense, right? He'd be a horrible teacher because he wouldn't have spent time training you or, or discipling you or educating you on anything that you're being tested on. And that's a, that's a crazy example that doesn't really like, make a lot of sense to us. We would think that guy needs to get fired, right? Yet at the same time as parents in our own ways, we tend to do the same thing. One of the ways we do that is we don't always seem to accept our kids where they are. We don't love them where they are. And the other thing is we don't always direct them where they need to go. So the second balance we need here is a balance of accepting and directing. Accepting and directing. See, Paul says raise them up. Raise them up. That's the first point, right? The point of parenting, the goal, is to get your kids ready to not need you. Right? To, to work yourself out of a job, as it were. Don't leave them like they were. Direct them where they need to go, to be fully mature, to be ready to make decisions about right and wrong, to understand life and have the ability to choose for themselves. The whole idea of this word up is really important. You want to direct your kids up. You want to point them in the right direction. You want to teach them ideals and morals and ethics and wisdom and trust them. Give them the freedom to fail. Push them out a little bit. Help them grow. In effect, if you don't direct them, they'll become careless kids. Do we have that graphic? Yeah. Boom, perfect. If you don't direct them, they'll become careless kids. So on the other hand, Paul doesn't just tell us to direct them. He doesn't just say raise them up. He says raise them up. And that word raise is a word of gradation, gradually, right? Understanding what phase your kids are in. Understanding where they're at in their development, Okay. It means you accept them where they are. You know them and you love them right where they're at. Parents, you're called to rejoice and delight in the blessing of your kids today, not in some future version of them. But this, this is saying is if you push them out too quickly, if you have too many problems in your own life so the kid feels like they have to grow up too soon without process, they're kind of forced into adulthood, they're gonna be frustrated. They're gonna feel like they weren't supported. They're gonna feel like their parents weren't really engaged with where they were. And they'll be crushed kids. Crushed under your own ideals and expectations. They'll constantly feel like they're failing. 
They constantly feel like they're never measuring up and they're competing with some future idealized version of themselves in your mind. Why? Because you're not loving and accepting them where they are. You're being like that physics teacher, crushing them under the weight of their final, always. So the second important balance is a balance between raising them up and raising them up, between accepting them where they are and yet directing them toward where they need to be. We see this in Jesus' life, don't we, all the time? Jesus constantly is recognizing where somebody is and he's loving them right there where they're at. He's accepting them. But then he never leaves them that way. Right? Story, of, story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know the wee little man up in a tree. And, and Zacchaeus, is, is, um, he's trying to get a hold of Jesus and Jesus sees him. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a leech, a traitor to his people. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down today. Salvation's come to your house. I'm going to your house for tea. Is that how the Bible says it? No, I think, I don't think they had tea. I think that was just the Sunday school song. So he goes to Zacchaeus' house and he eats with him across the table, which is scandalous. This guy's a sinner. He's a publican. He's on the side of the Romans who are oppressing us, right? Jesus loves him in the middle of his mess. And what we see at the end of that story is what Zacchaeus says, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anyone, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Why? Because Jesus accepted him where he was, but he didn't leave him that way. See it over and over. The woman at the well, we were talking about. The woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she was with now wasn't her husband. Scandal. And Jesus loves her in her mess right there at the well. And he accepts her, but he also challenges her. And by the end of that story, she's run to the town and brought the whole town out to see a man who showed me everything I ever was. Or the, you remember the story of the adulterous woman? Who the, the religious leaders dragged out to try to trap Jesus and they threw her down and they had stones in their hand. They're ready to kill her. And Jesus says, hey, which one of you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. Rocks start dropping all around her and they turn around and they walk away. And Jesus kneels down and he says, neither do I condemn you. See how he accepts her right where she's at. But then he says, go your way and what? Say no more. He doesn't leave her that way. So we want to understand where our kids are. We want to accept them in their mess, love them, and yet challenge them to continue to grow. Are we tracking? Good, Okay. So as parents, we want to raise them up, accepting and directing. The third thing that this scripture points out, the last thing is, it says, raise them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you're a Christian parent here today, you need to instruct your kids in the gospel. Who God is, what he's done for them in Christ, who they are, what is their identity that's unshakable in Christ? Who, who are they now because of the gospel? And how are they free to live? How are they free to live? The first two points that we looked at are really outside in. They're the context that we're raising our kids in. But this third point is that it's, it's inside out. It's the content that we're raising in them. Are you giving your kids the gospel? Are you giving your kids grace? If you give the gospel as the content you grow in your kids, it will reconstruct the fundamental architecture of their heart. The right behaviors will start to flow from the right beliefs. In fact, there's a famous quote from G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he says, 
orthodoxy begets orthopraxy. In other words, the right beliefs will lead to the right practices, the right way of living, if you have the right beliefs. So as they begin to see the good news of their father that loves them, guess what they're gonna start doing? They're gonna start loving God and loving others, aren't they? The more they begin to realize and own the grace that is theirs in Christ Jesus, the more they'll be free to give grace to their friend who just tripped him, right, or played a prank on him, right? One of our biggest struggles, and I think we all know this, in giving grace is that we struggle to receive grace. So we, we struggle to pass the grace on because we don't have a reservoir of grace from God in our own hearts. But if you will give your kids grace, grace will flow out of them. As they begin to see themselves through the eyes of Daddy God, that their status is unshakable because they are his kids. You don't just, Daddy God, the perfect father, doesn't just kick you out of the house when you don't do things his way. He loves you. That's an unshakable, that's sonship. That's, you are a child of God. That's what it says in 1 John, beloved, we are now children of God. Not one day when we're perfect, not one day when we get to heaven, right now, because of the work of Christ that was finished on the cross, you are a child of God. You can never lose that. As your kids start to get that confidence and the appro- realize that the, the only one who matters, the glorious one of the universe, approves of them. Even on their worst day, he still loves them. They can't lose that love. That frees them from seeking approval and fearing rejection from people. So as you give your kids the content of the gospel in their everyday life, it will free them from the broken behaviors that you see on the outside because their beliefs are being formed and shaped into the very character of Christ. We tracking? Yeah. Tell your kids the gospel. Give them grace. Remind them the Father loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life in your place. And I know you just hit your brother in the back of the head. Jesus had brothers and he never hit them in the back of the head perfectly on your behalf. Like, make it real. Make it practical. And then he died a death that we all deserve so you could be forgiven, so you could be loved right now. You could be accepted in him. And he rose again from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death once and for all. You don't need to be afraid. You have the very power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you to empower righteous living, to honor God and live a worship-filled life because of what Jesus has done for you. When you give your kids the gospel like that, it will transform their lives. Parents, you need to know the gospel. You need to be fluent in it to see all of life through the lens of the gospel. As parents, you have this up there. As parents, your first step in making disciples of your kids is to be a disciple. Amen? As you receive the grace, you're free to give them grace. As your heart's discipled, you're free to disciple their hearts. And that gospel will free them from becoming exasperated, frustrated, angry, despairing, and depressed kids. Because grace becomes the lens through which they begin to see all of life. They start seeing everything. You know, first of all, I just thank God for my parents who loved me, who put me in Bible quizzing. So now when I'm talking to people, I have these random scriptures that pop up in my head because we just memorized for hours and hours scripture upon scripture. But I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that when I wilded out 
and went crazy and left church and did my own thing, they loved me back into Jesus. I'm so thankful because I get to pass that on to my kids now. I get to pass that love and grace on to my kids because I had godly parents who did that for me. What a joy. And maybe you did, maybe you didn't have those kind of parents, but the good news of the gospel is you can be that for somebody because you do have a good heavenly father, amen, who loves you. So as you build a balanced context for your kids or the people you're discipling, balancing delight and discipline, balancing, accepting, and directing them. And as you fill that context with the content of the gospel, you will have healthy, maturing disciple kids who love God and love others. Now that's a lot. That's a lot. If you want to avoid your kids being angry, if you want to avoid them being discouraged, if you want a closer family, here's a list of things to do. Do these things, right? If, if you're not careful today, you could walk away crushed under the weight of all the stuff that we're supposed to do all these balances we're supposed to find. How am I supposed to perfectly balance truth and love? How am I supposed to perfectly balance like helping them grow to be independent somehow but not be codependent? And, and oh man, this balance is tough. How, how can I constantly help them see the gospel in every situation? I don't even understand how it applies to certain situations in my life. How? Well, the good news today is it's, it's simple you guys know what I'm going to say here. The only thing that will free you to be the parent you long to be and free you to be the parent your kids need you to be is the gospel. It frees us to parent from a place of receiving grace. Think about it. And this is what I'll close with. The gospel is that because of what Christ has done, because we're saved by what he has done on our behalf, we are simultaneously just and sinful. We're completely accepted in the beloved. Yet at the same time, in ourselves, we know that we're sinful, we're broken, we're imperfect. Amen? What does that do? It does everything. Think about all the things we just talked about. Why do some of us under-discipline our kids? I'll tell you why. When I look at myself, I tend to under-discipline because I want their approval. I don't want my kids to call me cruel. I don't want them to think I'm I'm a jerk. Right? So I tend to under discipline. I can't bear to have them look at me and think negatively about me. So I feel I need their approval. Why? Why do I feel like I need their approval? It's because I'm not living out of who I am in Christ in those moments. But the gospel frees me. The gospel alone frees me from the need for my kids' approval and it frees me to discipline them sufficiently. Right? But on the other hand, why do some of us over discipline? We over discipline our kids because we can't bear for them to become failures. We don't want our kids to be imperfect. We don't want them to be unsuccessful. So we might under-discipline because we care about what they think of us, but we might over-discipline because we care about what others think of us. And the gospel frees us from caring about what people think of us because we're loved in Christ. Amen? Yep. Tons of parents, I, I see it, especially in certain cultures, certain parents are humiliated if their kids aren't just right, if they have imperfect grades, if they have imperfect manners. Only the gospel will free you from the need to have your kids look like you, be like you, act like you, be perfect. Because you get that identity, where? Out of Christ in the gospel. Let's go further. Some parents tend to think their kids need to be dependent on them, right? They try to keep them dependent on them, and they don't direct them where they need to go. Why? Those parents need to be needed. It's like the song. And you can sing it with me if you know it. I want 
you to want me. That was like three keys at the same time. Almost harmony. I need you to need me. I love you to love me. You ever notice how codependent this love songs in our culture are? And if you're, if you're a parent who needs, is trying to get that love and affection from your kids, you're passing along the codependency directly to them. And that, <laughs> and that again is a lack of orientation around the gospel. We're forgetting who we are in Christ. We're trying to get something from our kids that we can only get from Jesus. Or on the other hand, we said some parents tend to push their kids up too soon. They don't accept where they are. Why? We're crushing them under our expectations. We don't, we, we need them. Maybe some parents even need them to be away, need them to be independent. Don't want little like clingy minions hanging around with us, grabbing onto our legs, right? So we have our own issues that we need to work on, our own problems. And of course, the gospel leads us to a place where we don't need to have that kind of selfishness in our heart anymore. We don't need to feel so free from responsibility, so comfortable in our individuality because Jesus has given us every good thing we're looking for already in himself. God is good. I don't need to go outside of him and outside of his plan for my life for satisfaction. I can receive his love from the hug of my kid and not feel like it's somehow squashing my individuality. The gospel alone will give you the kind of experience you can share with your kids. The gospel will free you to be the parent you long to be and the parent your kids need. Without the gospel, you won't have a balance of delight and discipline. Without the gospel, you won't have a balance of accepting them and directing them. Without the gospel, you won't have the ability to work backward from their behavior to their beliefs and help them understand what's going on in their heart and apply the gospel to their lives. But with the gospel, you've got everything you need to do everything you've got to do as parents, as disciple makers, so that your kids will not grow up exasperated, but filled with wisdom and worship for God. The gospel will enable you to work to build a closer family. And I want to wrap it up today. We're going to take some time, as we do every Sunday, to pray together, to worship together, to remember the gospel through communion together. We've got some communion questions up on the board. But I want to invite you, maybe you've heard the gospel today. Maybe you've heard the Father's heart for you for the first time, or like you've never heard it before. And you say, I want that. I need that. I want to experience that kind of healing in my life. I want to experience the love of a good father. It's yours today. You don't have to work to get it. It's yours. You get to just receive it. If you want prayer for that, or if you want prayer to grow to be a better parent, you can come down. I'm going to ask Kenny and myself. We're just going to be hanging out over here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd absolutely love to pray with you. Some people here at the church will be coming up and taking communion. Others will hang back in their seats. If you're a believer, you're welcome to come on up and take communion. Here's some questions you can discuss over communion that just help move the dialogue along. And it's, What's God saying to you through the message today? Has God been speaking to your heart? Where do you feel conviction? Where do you feel the Holy Spirit moving on you and warming your heart? How does the gospel set you free to love and lead in healthier ways? Another way, the negative way of saying that is where has disbelief in the gospel led you to not leading and loving and discipling and parenting in healthy ways? And how's the gospel set you free for that? And then the third question, to what will you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to commit this week? As you step out, as you step out to act in obedience to God and what he's calling you to do, 
how can you ask the Holy Spirit to come along and empower that? Because we are helpless. We are broken on our own. How many of you guys know that? The Old, Old Testament says it this way. It says, except the Lord build a house, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds my life, unless the Lord builds this closer family, all my work's in vain. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit for this. So I'm gonna pray over us and then I'm gonna invite you guys while some music's playing. We're gonna take about 10 minutes for a response and then we're gonna close out with a song and a benediction together. And I just wanna invite you guys during this time to close your eyes and listen in and say, all right, God, what are you saying to me? Where are you showing up in this for me today? Father, we thank you so much that you, not just a good dad, you're a perfect dad. That you have loved us with an undeniable love while we were far away, running as fast as we could, as hard as we could, some of us from you. Your love overtook us and your grace wrapped us in your arms. You scooped us up and you brought us into family. You filled us with your spirit, the spirit of adoption, that we get to cry out, Abba, Father. We get to call you Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, you, you're not far from any one of us. You are right here, as close as the mention of your name. And I pray that today, Father, you would help some of us realize how you've adopted us and drawn us near. You would help us realize the love and approval and acceptance that we've been longing for our whole lives we've had all along in you. I pray you'd move on our hearts today. I pray you'd help us as, as parents, as disciple makers, to look inward and say, where am I not really balancing love and truth? Where am I trying to make people grow up too fast or, or just leaving them as babies? Where am I not giving them grace, the grace of the gospel? Where am I just trying to change their behaviors instead of help them see that their behaviors are flowing from their beliefs? God, I pray you'd help us see that and take inventory of our lives, inventory of our families today, so that we could leave here not under a yoke of heaviness and burden, but free, knowing that you are the perfect father. And even in, as I say all this stuff, if I'm not careful, I could be crushed under the weight of it because I see the imperfections every time I look in the mirror. What an imperfect dad I am. And I pray that only by your grace, you would make up where I lack, that you would raise up my kids to love you where I fall short. We love you. We ask all this today. Have your way in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.